When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain on Revolution Radio. Making smarter financial decisions with your host, Rob Nelson, former Fox News host and anchor at Roundtable Media with his team of market masters. Mark Lepresti, managing director of Mineta Advisory Partners, co-founder of Battlefin, leading data platform, and a former institutional equities trader at Lehman Brothers. Alex Mascioli, founder of Trade the Chain, former head of institutional prime brokerage at Bquant. John Nigerian, co-founder of Market Rebellion, former co-host of Halftime Report on CNBC, and co-founder of Option Monster and Trade Monster. Daily data insights and ticker updates direct from three of the world's top TradFi legal and crypto experts on Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain every Monday and Friday on all your favorite platforms. Let's get started. Welcome, Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain B3 Nation. This is our Thursday edition. We do this Tuesday, Thursday, and Sundays at 5.30 Eastern Time. Follow us at GetRevRadio. Tweet out to space. Follow all of our speakers and hosts. And dive in with us for an amazingly another roller coaster ride as we go through the ups, the downs, the ins and outs of everything that is happening in the markets, both TradFi, crypto, and Web3 DeFi as well. Um, Mark Lepresti, we've got Accelerate Tax sponsoring us today. Give us a give us a shout out to them, and we're going to pin their website up to the crow's nest. Yeah, thank you so much, Rob, and a huge B3 welcome and shout out to all of our loyal listeners. It is wonderful to address this crowd. Um, we are, as Rob pointed out, being sponsored today by friends at Accelerate Tax. This company helps small and medium-sized businesses to access significant funding that's available to them under the Employee Retention Credit Program, which was created under the CARES Act. This was a legislation designed to help small and medium-sized businesses recover from the terrible impact of the COVID pandemic. Qualifying businesses can receive up to $26,000 per employee. Not all businesses will qualify. There are fees associated with this program. This is in the category of a disclaimer, but... Um, if you're interested in learning more, go to AccelerateTax.com. See if your business qualifies for up to $26,000 per employee if you're impacted by COVID and you qualify. That's the story with Accelerate Tax. Back to you, Rob. Well, listen, B3 Nation, we've got a fun show today. We're going to be talking about everything from the big banks taking their final exams. Uh, Mark Lepresti is going to weigh in on venture capital landscape for tech startups. He is at a conference on there right now. He's been speaking like all day long. Surprised he still has his voice. Corporate bankruptcy filings on the rise, crypto in the UK, and Bitcoin clinging to 30000 So let's kick it off, Mark, with an overview in the TradFi markets. I know you want to talk about the yield curve, and, and a lot's been going on, so so share with us, inventories, mortgage applications, what's the picture? Yeah, sure. So we're at big picture markets closed in the green today on the Dow Jones and the S&P. The Dow up 80 basis points, 
Uh, the S&P up just under 50 basis points. The NASDAQ, the only of the three majors in the red, down 42 basis points. We had a, a, a lot of economic information out today. Um, is going to weigh in and factor into our macro conversation, which I'm going to bring Dr. J into earlier. Our favorite inverted yield curve, we all, he uh, taught everybody last show about what that means. It has reached its most inverted level since 1981. That's a very interesting data point. Mortgage applications up 3%, a little bit surprising given interest rates. Retail inventories up just one under 1% on a month-over-month -month basis. Wholesale inventories, on the other hand, down very slightly, just 0.1% on a month-over-month -month basis. We do get some potentially positive good news from a survey of U.S. businesses showing that companies expect sales growth to increase by 5% over the next 12 months, an upward revision from their prior estimate of 4.7. And uh, we also had the State Street Investor Confidence Index going up uh, just over six points to 95.8 versus last month's 89.7. So some green shoots, but still investors digesting what was clearly some hawkish commentary from Jay, uh, which was uh, indicating that there were, as is the current market, I think around the 70% range, that we'll get the two more rate hikes, 25 basis points each, that I have been prognosticating since last Wednesday's rate pause, hawkish rate pause. That's what I was looking at in the Tradfire overview. Um, but, but Mark, let me ask you something. On two things. One, I don't want you to be right about the Fed. I know you don't either, but I think you're going to. Let's say he status at the moment. I'm not totally sure why. Well, we'll give him a second. Let's let's give it a second and see if we get his, his mic done. Um, while we're waiting, Mark, will you just again, I know you talked about it before, but what do you, what's your takeaway about the yield curve between the two and 10-year Treasury yields? What does that tell you as an investor? What do you what when you say that's such a significant thing that it's that, you know that it's at its most inverted in decades? What do you do with that information in a practical way? Well, we we try to distill and figure what the signals are because that's well. Here we go. John is up. He's got the mic. Let me feel the thunder. The folks have heard enough from me in this part of the show. Huh? <laughs> They've never heard enough from you, Mark. <laughs> um. Let's let's grab, uh, dive into some of the TradFi stuff, uh, and then we can maybe get to, uh, I mean, the two-year being over the 10-year and making that inversion as wide as it is um, tells you that people are just uh, more willing to be in uh, treasuries than invested in the markets. And I'm sure that all the listeners would say that there's a whole host of reasons for that. Um, and that's frequently when people's unwillingness to be in the market uh, manifests itself like that um, in the short term. It's telling them that maybe uh, other types of consumer behavior are going to follow that, meaning that we're more likely to see a recession. Got it. Not good news necessarily in that case. Yeah, we're no. not in the recession yet, right? No, about the new GDP numbers for the first quarter. Is that good or bad? Yeah. Well, they were revised sharply higher, just like Mark said. Um, consumer spending fastest pace in two years. Uh, but that's, again, the first quarter. All of these numbers, are, of, course, of course, are backwards looking, Rob. But this is pretty far back because that's the first quarter. So we've been a long ways past March. Tomorrow's the last trading day of June. 
for God's sake. So um, it, it is good that we're seeing that number higher. We'd much rather see GDP up like this, it's better for America, better for working people. Um, and the question is, of course, can we be anywhere near that in the second quarter based on the credit card borrowing that Mark frequently cites um, at record levels, I would say it is uh, unlikely to have uh, supported that same 2% number since it's the consumer is 70 some odd percent of the economy. But um, we'll take the good news for the day, even if it didn't exactly drive markets uh, significantly higher. Um, the market, of course, as Mark said, in the Dow case was outperforming in a pretty big way, both the S&P and the NASDAQ. But it has lagged all year, really, until now. Um, I think, Rob, that some of the uh, things that were most interesting today were um, that J-O-B-Y. This is that stock that uh, um, is basically a ride share for in the air. It's an electric uh, takeoff and landing craft that uh, purports to be the first to deliver sky taxis. Um, and they are electric. Uh, they have a, the, their version of it has, I believe, five large uh, fan jets, electric fan jets that lift the craft up in the air, um, just like a helicopter, and then goes forward uh, and flies um, not at extreme altitudes, but certainly high enough to get you, for instance, from downtown Chicago, where it could be anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half out to O'Hare. And I believe it could do it in about nine minutes. Um, so certainly that kind of uh, time efficiency is something that makes this stock really attractive. Uh, SK Telecom came in with a hundred million equity investment. That was just announced today. Um, Toyota's already in with 400 million. They're the biggest investor. And they're the reason behind the big rally, some 40 some odd percent in two days, is that they just got their airworthiness permit for test flights. And the CEO says, hey, we're still on track for a 2025 launch of commercial flights. So this was a fun one, Rob, because we had unusual activity in it yesterday, meaning that um, even as it ran higher by 38% or whatever the move was in total yesterday, it uh, still had people betting on the upside, and those people were very richly rewarded yet again. Um, a lot of those unusual activities have been paying off nicely. Um, overstock. We thought this was interesting because apparently that brand will go away. They'll relaunch BBBY or Bed Bath & Beyond. They bought the rights to that and uh, all of the intellectual property associated with it. So Overstock will apparently have um, a, a different sort of business than they've presently had. I mean, uh, you know, I've, I think we could all tell jokes about Bed Bath & Beyond stores um, and it doesn't look very much like the overstock.com site uh, where you can buy more like Wayfair items and so forth. I would say overstock is closer to that model. Um, but this is a diversification, um, and it took the stock up uh, double digits today. 
uh, as did uh, BlackBerry or BB. Um, it was up, uh, you know, at one point double digits. It gave up a lot of that, but I think a lot of the people that remember Research in Motion and the BlackBerry product um, are still surprised whenever they hear us say BlackBerry for the BB initials that are the uh, stock symbol uh, because you just don't see very many of their phones, quite frankly. But you will start hearing more about how well they're doing in cybersecurity. Big Canadian-based company. Um, they had sequential revenue growth in the cybersecurity business unit. So in other words, seems like they've done what you would call, Rob, a pivot. And that's a good thing. Lastly, on the uh, regular uh, TransFi market, I'd say Micron. Um, they lost less money than expected. Uh, but as my brother Pete likes to say, losing less isn't always a victory. <laughs> it's great, but it's not really a victory. So they flipped from a gain in the pre-market of about 4% to a loss uh, during the regular session of about 4%. And uh, the turnover there was pretty heavy for Micron. It did 50 million shares, almost 51 million shares versus 18 million on a normal session. So that were those were some of the big TradFi moves that we were tracking today into what is likely to be the last volume day of the week, given that uh, a lot of people are going to be heading to the uh, beaches or wherever people go for uh, the 4th of July, even though that's not until Tuesday. John, hey, quickly, um, you talked about Bed Bath & Beyond, you know, Overstock and Bed Bath and & Beyond and, and um, BlackBerry's pivot, both pivots. Remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about that, you know, the idea I tossed out, is it possible that, you know, what they're doing is buying a brand name that they can, Overstock's not known for all that kind of, you know, they're more furniture. It disallows them to basically do an Amazon-like move put themselves where they're taking all the stuff. Mark Lepresti doesn't want to have to ever go into a Bed Bath & Beyond again. He never has to. You can just, you know, and it's good for overstock. Is that why their stock's going up? People see that as a great way for the Bed Bath & Beyond brand to extend itself? Lose um, retail shops with picking it up online? Well, apparently they believe that the Bed Bath & Beyond brand um, is worth uh, a fair amount uh, in the consumer's mind. And so... Just as you were opining, Rob, this is something that, uh, uh, you know, and they bought it for next to nothing. I believe it was under $30 million uh, what they bought the intellectual property and all of the websites, the IP for Bed Bath & Beyond. I, I got to believe that that's a pretty cheap shot for them. And OSTK becoming Bed Bath & Beyond um, this is a $1.4 billion company. Uh, it was up on 15 million share turnover today, which is 10 times the normal turnover of about one and a half million shares. So a really big endorsement of uh, the idea that, yeah, consumers love that brand, even if it couldn't manage its stores as well as it needed to to survive. Bed Bath & Beyond is still a brand name that consumers apparently like. Hey, last question, uh, Mark, for you before we, we move to the crypto overview. You know, John talked about the consumer spending, you know, at a, such a fast pace, first quarter GDP revised sharply higher. You've said you don't see how consumers can keep spending at this pace. Like eventually 
they, I mean, I guess they might still, right? But is your take that consumer spending has to slow down? Yeah, no, of course, Robin. And as John very accurately pointed out, while I was very happy that we got the substantial revision in the GDP number, indicating that perhaps inflation is not impacting the economy as much as we and Chairman Powell are concerned that it is, perhaps he won't have to be as hawkish and hike in the manner that I still firmly believe that he will. But this is really old data, right? I mean, this is consumer spending going back to January, February, and March. It's almost the 4th of July. We're midway through the year. I do not think, as I was asked on another show earlier today, whether or not this means that the Q2 GDP will also be revised by a similar delta. I said there's absolutely no chance that I, that I see the Q2 GDP being revised but anywhere near a, a similar delta. Um, but that you know that's the importance of the data, right? It's the importance of understanding the data. It's the importance of of you know why we talk about it so much. And and I want to just answer a question quickly that you asked and then got lost in the wash as we were transitioning to John in terms of that yield curve that that historically inverted in terms of the amount of the inversion in that yield curve. What does it mean? Simply put to our listeners, it's a recessionary indicator. The more that yield curve is inverted, the more dramatic that curve is inverted, the more that tends to indicate that we are in a recession, the duration of that recession, and how bad that recession is. And when we talk, Rob, and we talk about this a lot because it's important, that there are two different sets of signals, mixed signals. I think the song was called Blurred Lines, right, between what the equity markets are telling investors and what the bond markets are telling investors as it relates to the state of the economy, whether or not we're in a recession, and therefore what will happen from the perspective of monetary policy. We've got two very different signals. But remember, the bullish concentration, when I was on stage with the chief investment officer today from the Rockefeller organization, and she was talking about how every major economic indicator indicates, in her opinion, as well as the bond market recessionary conditions. Interesting, interesting. Blurred lines, everybody. Mark Segman's back. Robin Tick, that was a great video. Everyone should check that out. That, that was a great song, a great video. This is Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain Twitter Spaces. This is our Thursday night edition. We do it Tuesday and Thursday and Sunday, a weekend edition on Sunday, 5.30 Eastern time. Follow us at Get Rib Radio. We appreciate every follow. We also appreciate if you follow the hosts, the speakers, any guests we have on. And stick around after we're done because we have a Beyond B3 where you guys, B3 Nation, can join in. We have guests in that as well. It's another full hour. Some of it's taking off on what we talked about. Some of it's new stuff. And again, it's much more interactive with you guys. So stick around for Beyond B3. Um, Alex Massioli, the crypto market has has... There's been a lot going on, but it's, it's, it's certainly not boring out there in Cryptoverse. Hey, Rob. Well, you know, I mean, in some areas, uh, not boring, and, and others uh, maybe a little too quiet for folks. Um, I, I'll get to that in a second. I just want to bring back, bring back up uh, Overstock.com and the whole Bed Bath & Beyond uh, name acquisition. I think it's really interesting, uh, and this ties into crypto. Overstock.com. For people who follow crypto, know uh, big uh, big investor in T zero, not citing on security uh, token exchange from back in 2017. They got into 
blockchain uh, investments. Um, and they bought the, the you know, the um, Bed Bath & Beyond name rights uh, to sell under, which is re- very uh, reminiscent of Radio Shack, which uh, who went bankrupt famously um, and sold their naming rights to Radio Shack, which is a decentralized uh, crypto exchange. So there's a lot of commonality. I, there's second purposes for these uh, for these retail names when they go bankrupt. Uh, and it's interesting. Alex, do you think that is, is that just a sort of something you're sort of noticing? Or do you think there, there's a conscious intention in them, in, 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 in Overstock doing it? That, that there is a definite play here that's, that's moving on the, on the crypto side? It's definitely black play. It's to consumer. It's a well on the, on on Overstock. It's not to blockchain. It's for their retail side, and they're they're banking on, uh, you know what the the decentralized exchange the Radio Shack, which is uh, bring awareness, right? I mean, old iconically famous name, uh, in in the consumer retail space. So, um, I think it's smart. You get to pick these assets up on the cheap. Um, you know, I love the, the fact he brought up BlackBerry. I love my BlackBerry. I started tearing when he was talking about it. Uh, they just came out with a documentary on, I believe, Netflix. It's a great documentary for folks who want to reminisce about their old BlackBerry days. But anyway, on to the crypto market. Um, yo, yo, Alex, hit, hit yeah, me on the hip, brother. Hit me on the hip. <laughs> you BlackBerry people, I swear to God, anybody out there as a BlackBerry relates, you guys hold on, held on to your BlackBerry till they were crumbling into dust. It's like, I still have my BlackBerry. It's like, okay, good. Every I still have AOL dial-up. What, what was more gratifying than the clicking sound of the little roller thing on the side, right? The, I, Without a doubt. I've got no tactile response from my iPhone. No. And you want to know something? The BlackBerry lasted years. It usually uh, its life ended when you broke it, um, where the the iPhone tends to die on its own after a couple of years. So um, it was a great product. Uh, missed the keyboard. Um, I just gave my BlackBerry up. Twenty eighteen is when I switched over to iPhone. So I was a late bloomer, and I had that puppy since twenty or two thousand and four. So long, long lifetime with the BlackBerry. Um, getting to the uh, crypto markets, uh, it's been a relatively range bound since Monday. Total crypto market cap losing about two hundred billion to one point seven trillion, with lighter than usual thirty billion traded today. Uh, Bitcoin gaining a mere one point one percent on thirteen point two billion billion in trading volume, uh, which was down fifteen percent on the twenty four hours. So uh, volume falling off since the last show, because uh, you folks know how excited I get when I see additional volume into the market space. Um, and as, since we like data here on B3, I will mention total tweet volume Bitcoin is down 7.8% versus average today as well. Uh, Ethereum moving very little, uh, up 1.2% with 5.83 billion trading hands. Um, but rounding this out, and this is what gets me excited um, because not every week is going to be filled with excitement in the markets. But rounding this out, and not to bring it up yet again, but really I am bringing it up again, Compound Finance, ticker COMP, rising. 24%, Serum, ticker SRM, 20%. And folks, if you are regular B3 listeners, then you know I've been covering and mentioning these two for over a week and a half now. SRM, up well over 100% during that time. So a lot of alpha being brought to the table between uh, three market masters and guests. 
Hey, I'm Nick Mancini. I'm going to bring you in a little later to talk about Bitcoin hovering at at, at around thirty thousand. But just for a minute, just you know, Alex was talking about you know how it sort of there was less volume. You know, Ethereum's not moving very much. A couple of days ago, there was more. Um, do you have a chart theory on that? Obviously, like all markets, there's up and down. But 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 the crypto, especially the markets, especially around the big currencies, do seem to have sort of these big ups and big downs, often a couple of days apart. Yeah, so um, altcoins are certainly, you know, there's um, sector specific winners right now. Like let's, you know, FTT and Serum are two, uh, you know, close, uh, they're two Solana ecosystem tokens and, and projects. And of course, we saw the FTX news resurface again about, you know, either selling FTX parts or, uh, you know, selling the business as a whole. And of course, that gets the market excited about those coins. And I have a little bit of a thesis that the uh, the bankruptcy lawyers are very intelligent about how the market gets excited about certain news and releasing uh, information that they have $7 billion in assets and they want to sell the company or, or restart the exchange certainly is going to get traders excited. And then that lifts up the value of the the bankruptcy balance sheet. So there's a there's a bit of a um, you know thesis there. But in terms of comp and a few of these other DeFi assets, I, I truly do not have a narrative as to why other than when one coin launches 5, 10, 15% sentiment increases narrative gets spread around Twitter. And obviously that then that blows up. Um, but, you know, in my opinion, I think Bitcoin and Ethereum are still exactly what you need to focus on. I'm not bullish on really anything until we see that 31K break for Bitcoin uh, and that 1900 break for Ethereum. Uh, well, speaking of thesis, Mark Lepresti, uh, Nick has his thesis. Um, school's out for most people. when it comes to the big banks and the bank stress test. And it seems like a lot of them did well. Tell us about it. Yeah, Rob. Well, this is one set of exam results that we should be happy about. Um, second set of the stress tests on the banks. Uh, we had some um, released last week. Another set this week. 23 of Wall Street's biggest banks passing, acing their final exams before they are let out for the summer. Of course, bankers really never take a vacation. Um, this includes acing a part of the test that included a so-called severe recession scenario, which included a 10% drop in unemployment, a, excuse me, 10% unemployment, a 40% decline in CRE, that's commercial real estate for those playing the home game, and a 38% drop in home prices. Two things, by the way, and I think we can see next year but that we did in another episode, but the banks basically having taken and aced this quote unquote severe recession scenario, the maximum drop in their capital base under those uh, uh, conditions was about 2.3% over a couple of years. Of course, the Fed did a victory lap, particularly their chair of supervision, your friend and mine, our hero, Michael Barr, said the results confirm the banking system remains strong and resilient. Have they ever said anything else? Uh, banks doing fairly well today on these results. But look, um, it, this this is obviously good news. My tongue-in-cheek uh, comments and digs on the Fed notwithstanding. Um, I'm very happy to see this. We don't want other things breaking. We don't want more banks to fail. Although I am going to stand by my previous statement that we will still see further consolidation in the regionals. 
Well, well, um, you know, Alex, Alex has a tinfoil hat on on a lot of this stuff. And John, you know, listening to Mark's thing, I, I'm just trying to play devil's advocate for a second. And, and to Mark's last point, when did the, the Fed not say the banks are doing well? So him, yeah, Michael Barr saying it shows the banks are strong and resilient. It, it, is is the data fully accurate? Did they pick and choose the banks? I mean, is this the only indicator we look at? Or, or you know, of course they want to show us the banks are strong and resilient. But we also know that there could be a massive, you know, mess up with regional banks around commercial real estate, right? So, I mean, are, are they testing everything they need to test? Or is this a little bit of, you know, them telling us what they want us to believe? It's uh, that they're fighting uh, the last war, Rob. Um, so, yes, they are not. Um, applying some of those things like that commercial real estate issue that you bring up and everybody brings it up. Or uh, the, for that matter, the idea of their duration mismatch where many of them would still have trouble the deeper the Fed goes with these interest rate hikes, the more it affects these guys. And in particular, of course, the too big to fail bank, the JP Morgan Citibank, Bank America, Merrill, and so forth, those banks don't have the same issue because of their sheer size. So what takes down the regional banks when those rates go up is the fact that they've put so much, too many of, uh, too high a percentage, I should say, of their assets into uh uh, U.S. government saved securities, um, treasuries and so forth, mortgage-backed securities, but that they have not taken the markdown on those, just as Dr. R uh, Rutledge said last week on the show a week ago, they haven't taken those markdowns because under Dodd-Frank, they don't have to until they actually start selling them. But if you, for instance, do see Mark's 225 uh, basis point hike this year, that will put a number of those regional banks at risk. Right. Interesting. And and Mark, you know, you're at Hamptons Tech Week right now. You you talked about you've been on, I mentioned you've been on stage all day long. Um, let's talk about early stage tech companies. Venture capital sure. has been rough. Um, you know, we've seen that around tech companies, especially since since SVB went down. Um, are things Worse, did, you, did I hear you say we might be looking at some kind of a mass extinction level for tech startups? That can't be true. Yeah, well, Rob, you know, listen, thankfully that wasn't my quote um, because I, I tend to try not to be that um, bearish, but it's pretty rough out there. Um, a recent review, and of course, there's a lot of different companies that cover the startup sector, like PitchBook, that does a pretty good job of covering the data on that sector is indicating that a lot of these startup companies have 12 months of cash runway, as we call it in the VC biz, left in the bank before they run out of capital. And the question becomes, is their capital on reasonable terms, or if at all, that's going to be available to many of these startups? And by the way, a lot of these companies have already done a lot of the things necessary to survive, cutting headcount, cutting marketing, scaling back on travel and entertainment and marketing budgets. We've seen that in the conference business. And we have a conference company uh, that's a division of Battlefin uh, that, that we, you know, myself and our other shareholders um, own. You know, we've seen uh, budgets 
for conference and sponsorships and things of that nature go down. So a lot of the cuts have already been made, and probably there's not a lot more fat to cut. So it's it's a significant concern, but you know I think it's also consistent with what we said when we saw the Silicon Valley Bank train wreck unfold, that this was a substantial component of the capital landscape for startups and the startup economy, meaning the venture debt provided by SVB and its progeny. And if you take that out of the startup economy in one fell swoop, there will be consequences, there will be job losses, there will be bankruptcies. And we're now starting to see that. Unfortunately, we're starting to see that manifest. And some pretty big time venture people are, are, are calling this a quote unquote Darwinian moment. So scary. Yeah, and I didn't mean I didn't mean to attribute it to you, but more <laughs> your is your analysis that you buy it, that we Yeah. I mean that's that we are you know, and by mass extinction, obviously, you know, but but that this could significant look, and then you add in the fact that we're moving, you know, that the SEC's going after, you know, basically blockchain, and that's going to push more tech out of the country. I mean, are we at risk of having our our tech foundations for the, for the next generation seriously damaged? Yeah. Well, you know, I, the, we've been there, and I think the damages and the consequences of the damage are now starting to become clearer. But I think, I think that's a situation that we've been in for a while, unfortunately. But, you know, look, the, the, the startup world, you know, I was here uh, over the past three days in beautiful Southampton, and a shout out and kudos to Christine and Steve and our friends that invited uh, me. And by the way, the Bulls Bears blockchain family out in force. I see the logo on the step and repeat. I'm here with General Anthony Tata, who was on stage twice today. General Tata, of course, joined us on Sunday for our special on Pagosin's almost coup and march to Moscow. Tony, our senior foreign policy and military geopolitical advisor to the Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain News team. Uh, but this is a great event. And uh, the uh, startup economy and the world around investing in and nurturing great technologies that will build jobs and improve our national security is not, as Monty Python once said, quite dead. We're still here and we're still going to support these businesses. There's just less dough to do it with. We still are. However, we're also seeing a lot more corporate banks bankruptcy filings, right? So, how much how much more are we seeing that, and how does that factor in? Yeah, I, um, and, and another a really interesting bullet point, um, uh, which is which is not so wonderful, which is on the corporate side. So, this is sort of the other end of that food chain, right? These are companies with value of fifty million dollars or more according to the agencies that follow this, essentially tracking those filings in the Delaware bankruptcy court, which is better staff up because unfortunately it looks like they're going to get busier. And we have seen on a year-over-year basis, Rob, twice as many, right, 2x the number of companies in that same $50 million value, uh, or say $50 million in liabilities that's tracked by the amount of their liabilities, which implies a certain um, asset size, of course. So we're looking at twice the rate of bankruptcies, and it's it's expected to increase. And the problem with that, of course, in a, in a situation where we're in a continued contraction of the availability of credit, part of the reason why these companies are filing bankruptcy, they can't get new debt, they can't refi old debt, is that even the types of lenders that do what's called debtor in possession or dip financing, there's less of them around. So you're going to see fewer 
companies survive if they do go through a Chapter 7 reorg because of the lack of debt uh, financing that's available due to the credit contraction and higher interest rates. Not good for the American economy. John, so weigh in on that. I'm sure you don't disagree with, with Brother Alex's assessment, but do you have any takeaway from that? I mean, is you know, where is there an upside in this? Is you know, did, is do we turn this around? What does it take to not to not have this be, or is it already heading to you know the quote mass extinction event that we, as Mark said, we've already done the damage? There is a lot of damage that's been done, Rob. Um, so, you know, when we look around, I think the uh, reason for the market's optimism is that the market believes that we will be seeing um, a cessation of those interest rate hikes and a perhaps cuts coming later this year. Um, now, the market and I could both be wrong, and Mark could be 100% right. But when you're looking around at you know the May inflation report, um, when you're looking around at various uh, um, gauges of uh, worker productivity or consumer confidence. Um, it it seems like the uh, the bears in the market are up against it more than they are right. Even though uh, at the extended height that the market is trading at, many people would want to probably get to the sideline. But so far, that's not been a logical trade or a good trade even though it might be what their gun tells them to do. You know, and Mark, and Mark you know, you know, we, we're, we're joking about, you know, or not joking that you may be right. This is one of those times when it comes to the Fed, right, where we're all going to hope, including you, that you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, of course, Rob. No, I do want to be wrong. I want to be wrong that we're not losing thousands of companies, both in startup land as well as mature companies with $50 million or more in liability, so uh, that's not good. That's not good for jobs. That's good for the American economy. That's not good for national security. That's not good for anything other than the bankruptcy courts or the bankruptcy lawyers, right? And and I'm not here to, you know, poop on them, but like if they're doing well and making money, it means we've got problems in the economy. And look, right, I, I, I want to hear John's opinion. I want to hear Alex's opinion. I want to hear the opinion of our audience members and beyond B3, which I know we're coming up on here at half past the hour. But these are sort of facts and figures and statistics that are what they are, right? Yeah, if you have a hundred percent more of the bankruptcy filings on a year-over-year basis, that's got to tell you something. If you've got interest rates pushing the availability of of debt financing up to two or three times more than it was twelve or fourteen months ago, that's telling you something. If the credit market is telling you that the credit is just not available because this is what the numbers say in black and white. That's telling you something. So to a certain extent, there's really not a lot of like debate about it. It's it's bleak. Well, and I guess then, you know, look, I'm not going to argue it's not bleak. I am going to say there's <laughs> one bit of good information out there, and that is that wage growth may be catching up to inflation. Now, I don't know that that's not really going to offset the, uh, the, you know, the, the, the extinction event in tech startups. But there, John and Mark, there is some good news in that, right? It's good for the economy. It's good for the markets. And maybe, right, maybe it makes the Fed uh, go, okay, we don't need to keep hiking. Well, uh, you know, I'll comment and then I want, I'd like John to cover this if, if he if he likes, because I'd really love to hear his opinion on this. But um, 
this might actually be good news is bad news because maybe this is showing that this is not disinflationary, right, as far as Chairman Powell would consider it. This means that Americans, because wage inflation has caught up and now by this one measure that we were looking at here may have exceeded inflation, what does that mean? It means that people actually have more money, right, to actually continue to spend, to continue to spend on the non-core services component of the economy, which, of course, is entertainment, uh, travel, leisure, going out, experiences, experiential spending, which we which we talked about a lot today on the various panels that we did. Um, so, look, it's a good thing for the American consumer uh, and, and a good thing for the economy, but it may not be, uh, not may not be, it is not, if you're J-PAL, it is not the kind of disinflationary stuff you want to see. John, what do you think about this? You're exactly right. It's not what Chairman Powell would like to see. Um, and the uh, uh, hourly wage is what was up at 4.3%. Now, I'm sure uh, an awful lot of the people that are listening to Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain don't work hourly wage jobs. Um, those jobs tend to be in the service sector. Um, and I, I think that is not a good gauge of where, uh, if indeed Americans are keeping up with the, quote, less than expected 4% rise um, from May to May, May of 2022 to May of 2023. Um, I think an awful lot of people who are working in jobs that if the Fed wants to try to categorize some of those as hourly wages, have at it, but they're not. They're salaried workers. And so uh, those salaried workers are not seeing that 4% increase uh, that the uh, price overall was up. The hourly wage worker, yeah, because people had to increase dramatically the pay that, I mean, I'm sure we've all seen it at various locations, $15 an hour, $17 an hour or more, even down in Puerto Rico to get uh, uh, service workers into either hotels um, or into food service, restaurants and all the rest. So I think that is something that uh, uh, the Fed does, uh, is aware of, the Federal Open Markets Committee is aware of, that hourly wages, yeah, they were up, but the other workers have not seen those same wage increases. And so this still, that 4% increase, double what the Fed wants, is still eating into those pocketbooks of uh, Joes and Janes out there. So in other words, we're not the, the Fed. The, the Fed is absolutely not going to see this as positive, based on what you're both saying. So the, it, it's good news for for workers. It may be good news in general for consumers. It's not going to be good news for what the Fed does. Yes, in in simple terms, yeah. Well, then Mark is going to be right, and we're going to see more rate hikes. It's Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain Twitter Spaces Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday. This is our Thursday show, five thirty Eastern time. At Get Radio, follow us at Get Rev Radio. Please do follow us. It really does make a difference. The more of you that follow us, tweet out the space if you're enjoying what you're hearing. Follow all of our speakers, hosts, and guests when we have them. And stick around for the Beyond 
B3 show, which kicks off as soon as we end in about 15 minutes, where you guys, B3 Nation, get to be a part of it. Alex Massioli, um, I want to let you weigh in if you want on the on the last talk about rate hikes and and whatnot, because I know, you know, you felt like you didn't get a fair shake last time and, you know, didn't, you know, your your, your guess was a little off and you weren't here to defend it. But then I want to jump into some stuff well, happening, particularly exactly. with crypto in the You're UK. You're picking on me. <laughs> You're picking on me. I, I I was a little off. You didn't need to highlight. I'm just saying, that. you didn't show up at the early show. Numbers came out. <laughs> I know, I know. Listen, I'm I'm still uh I'm still of the camp that we're gonna go up uh two twenty-five basis point hikes. I was um, you know, I did have the mindset that that was gonna happen uh d- after the last meeting. It didn't. Uh Mark won that one. I lost that one. Um, but I think September, I don't think you know, nothing's gonna happen over July and August. I I, I don't think. Um, and then come September, I think we're gonna we're gonna see a hike. We're not gonna cut rates until next year, um, and that's that. That I'm sticking with it. I'm letting it ride. And and you know, and we've had that conversation over and over again, which I know there's no definitive answer, but I'm gonna just ask it again, just your crystal ball take. If they hike rates again twice, is that ultimately possibly it's tended to be good for Bitcoin? Well, I mean, listen, that's something I want to direct to Nick. Uh, we were, you know, we've been discussing that, uh, you know, I'd say I, last Thursday, you're out uh, on the desk, what the trading in was being, you know, to counter uh, the FOMC. But uh, I'd love him to take uh, edit that. But before I think I see Mark's hand trade and he might be coming back after me. I don't know. Oh, yeah, his hand is up. He's ready. He's in the ring. It's going to be like Zuckerberg and uh, and um, Elon Musk duking it out. More fall asleep. With hey, the but, no. Well, listen, Alex. That I, can can you hear me? Is this thing on? Yes, sir. So, so listen, I'm not going to rub salt in your wounds that you consistently get your prognostications of what the Fed's going to do wrong, and I get it right 99 percent of the time. I don't think there's any reason to remind our listeners that that's how this typically plays out. I had had my hand up from before because I wanted to comment wow. on oh, wow. John I saying, oh, wow. come on, come on, put your big boy pants on. This is a finance show. Put your big boy pants on. But I wanted to comment on something that John was saying before <laughs> when it comes to understanding, understanding that news report we just covered about wage inflation and uh, hourly wage increases caught up to or exceeded the rate of inflation and why that is a deceiving number because it disproportionately affects certain hourly workers versus the rest of, of the employed population. And that's, by the way, that's what separates the amateurs from the big boys is understanding these data points, understanding the, the what's behind them, not taking them at face value and looking at a number like that and saying, oh, we're out of the woods, no recession. We don't have wage stagflation anymore. It's all good. No, that's just not the case because you have to understand what's behind those numbers. So kudos to you, John, on that. Thank you, Mark. Give me Alec if he likes me better than you. Yeah. I, I'm not I'm not picking. I'm not picking. It's like trying to choose your favorite, you know, or something. Alex, we got our Iron Man suits on, man. Forget about the big boy pants. Hey, Alex, let, let's hold 
your thought on bringing Nick into that conversation. And first, I just want to ask you to address a little bit what's happened with the UK with crypto and stablecoin regulation. So as I understand, it was passed into King Charles signs it for what I think was called Royal Assent. What does it actually mean? And is it actually like significant and, and vis-a-vis the, the SEC and, and the, you know, the SEC kind of not being able to get things in order? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, so, you know, the royal house over there doesn't have uh, the rulemaking capabilities. It's, you know, it's run by the prime minister. They're more for show and Netflix uh, tell-alls. But yes, it does go to whoever the matriarch or patriarch is of the royal family to sign, and and it's called the royal assent, which puts any parliamental bill uh, into law, um, which he did today. And it's 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 a pretty structured architecture of regulation for crypto over in the UK, who has been the UK has been busy trying to design their own ever since they left, uh, you know, the Eurozone Brexit, because now they get to make their own laws. They don't have to agree uh, with a bunch of other countries. Um, but, you know, what makes this law, it's kind of like here, I'll put it to you this way. Let me let me pull up here. We had, uh, oh, we had uh, Brian Armstrong. Okay, so this is really getting heated. The, um, you, you know, you have the SEC soon Coinbase. There's still no clarity on crypto regulation over here. And Coinbase's CEO, Brian Armstrong, came out saying, the U.S. is squandering its lead in the global crypto market as embarrassed regulators attempt crackdowns. And nothing could be more truer. You know, SBF, obviously, huge amount of egg on their face. Um, we are losing. And, and John and Mark have, have mentioned things, you know, prior, such as, the, the you know, our innovators will leave, they'll go overseas and, and this and that. And that's true. And, and the thing is, is that they're looking to uh, become a global crypto hub. Um, they're taking market share already away from Asia, which has been very predominant in it. So I listen, they're they're doing everything right. We're doing everything wrong. Kudos to them. So Alex, so Alex, as I understand it, and what you're saying is, because the whole debate here comes right to repeat, well, everybody listening is that a lot of people would say it's not wrong to try to regulate it. It's wrong to not tell people how you're trying to regulate it. Regulate by enforcement, not let people know what they're. Am I the only one that can't hear Rob? No, no, I hear Rob. No, nope, just you, Mark. Come on, put the put the big boy. Yeah, I'm going to drop and come back. Um, so, Alex, what I think I'm asking is, you know, this is not this is them saying we're going to regulate wide swaths of crypto, right? We're we're going to regulate stable. Oh, we're going to it includes stable coins. It includes stable coins. It includes promotions. It includes counterparties. Um, it is a large swath of uh, the cryptocurrency market over there. Um, and who knows, maybe that will, you know, they will become the new innovative hub, uh, just like Switzerland has, uh, w- you know, when they set up there. So um, I think it's I think it's great that they're doing this. Uh, and, and it's not a secret. If, if you follow crypto, even just a little bit, you'll see in the news headlines, both the Winklevoss or the Winklevies, I like to call them the twins, the Winklevie and Brian Armstrong have spent a lot of time in London over the last eight months, talking directly with regulators, um, and as well as the Winklevi, I've also spent some time in Hong Kong speaking to those regulators. 
Why? They're looking for a backup plan for when they get pushed out of the U.S., when we can't get our act together. And I'll go back to Jesse Armstrong. Uh, uh, sorry. I'll go to, back to uh, uh, Jesse Powell, the founder and CEO of Kraken Exchange out in San Francisco, who paid a $30 million fine to the SEC for their staking program back in January. And he came out and said, listen, I, we've tried many a times. I don't understand what this is. Publicly said, like, listen, we've tried and you're fining us? I would have I would have rather spent the 30 million in building regulation than paying you in a fine for something we don't we didn't feel we had done anything wrong. Interesting. Last question on this, Alex. Is it a surprise to you that Britain is making this play? I mean, we talked about other places that are clearly being aggressive in wanting to, you know, pursue creating an environment for crypto for blockchain other than the US. Is it a surprise that Britain's kind of trying to push itself, and are they kind of pushing themselves into the forefront by what they're doing? I, I think they are. They're, you know, first of all, Britain's been angry ever since the Tea Party in Boston years ago. But they see they see a weakness going on with us. They're taking advantage of it uh, in a good way, um, and they're going to capitalize on it. And if that means drawing more companies over to them, which drives more uh, jobs, dr- drives more. Uh, revenue for the United Kingdom, then so be it. Ireland's done a great job of doing that with major companies such as Facebook and a lot of the Fortune 500 uh, for you know various benefits they get there. The UK could be turning the corner on that as well. So interesting. So um, we're it's on, we're nearing the end of the show, guys. I do want you to stick around for Beyond V3. It's a lot of fun. It's a way for everybody out there listening. You get to be part of it. And to some great guests, this is our Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain Twitter spaces that we do Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday at 5.30 Eastern. Follow us at Get Rev Radio. Alex, I started out a little bit ago talking about the Fed question, how the Fed affects Bitcoin and people buying Bitcoin. And you mentioned you and Nick at Trade the Chain have been talking about it. So let's dive into that conversation. Nick, bring you into it. You know, is is Fed, is, is Jay Powell's, you know, rate hikes good or bad for crypto or hard to tell? Rate hikes, uh, as we are, well, first, thank you for, for including me in this, but uh, rate hikes have typically been bearish events uh, taken, you know, if you just look at the 24 to 48 hours around when that rate hike occurs. What happens after is always based on what Jerome Powell's speech and outlook and his future, his forward-looking opinion is. Um, so, you know, I always caveat that even though there may be a rate hike, we could see immediate downside followed by a quick buyback. Um, so that's always something to be wary of. But typically, rate hikes have been bearish for all risk assets, not just Bitcoin. It seems that uh, the market really gets uneasy anytime J-PAL uh, lifts up that terminal rate. Now, the other thing in regard to FOMC, and we actually have a very big data print tomorrow, we have PCE data at 8.30 a.m. And of course, that is the last inflation print that we're going to get for uh, looking at around Q2. And uh, Nick Tamiros from the Wall Street Journal, he is my Fed canary. I think this is some of the best alpha that you can have if you are looking at anything around FOMC. Nick Tamiros has correctly predicted every single inflation print and rate hike 24 to 48 hours prior to that data being released. And that's always because he has he has 
the ear and the whisper of Jerome Powell and other Fed governors. Now, he has predicted tomorrow that PCE will come in at 3.9%, which is lower than expected, but core PCE will come in at 4.7%, which is as a, uh, which is actually unchanged. So in my opinion, you know, for looking at, you know, FOMC opinion around tomorrow going into July, I would expect a bit of a boost on price action based on PCE coming in lower than expected. But core PCE is that critical metric that the Fed uses. Remember, it excludes food and energy prices. And the Fed very much focuses on core PCE. So an unchanged core PCE, I think, would lead to actually bearishness throughout the U.S. session tomorrow after a quick uh, bullish pop on the PCE data. But 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 your but Nick, your point is what you were saying earlier, if I got it right, is that that after people listen to what after the Fed acts and then they listen. So when when Powell says, you know, I'm looking at everything, we're going to have to do some more hikes. That's when Bitcoin drops and doesn't hold up to 31. Is that kind of what you saw happen? Yes. Um, yeah, I, I, that, the, you're certainly correct there. If, if the, the market is pro projecting a 25 or 50 basis point hike, if the market gets what it ex expects, typically it will immediately sell off. And you can go and time that up with every single FOMC. Typically, Bitcoin has immediately sold off upon that rate hike announcement. Now, the buyback will typically occur depending on Jerome Powell's outlook in his subsequent speech. We are pleased with inflation. We're not expecting rate hikes in the future. We're happy with progress. We've heard that a couple of times, not too much. But when we have heard it, we have seen swift bullish price action on the heels of his speech. So um, whenever we talk about FOMC and price action, whatever that data print is, this is kind of the, uh, the, the, the rule of the land, you know, that works most of the time. Typically, 30 minutes after the rate hike announcement, price will reverse and momentum will set in. And that is we've seen that time and time again around FOMC uh, rate hike days. And so last question on this, we, um, you know, we were up to 31, we're back down, hovering around 30. Are we going to stay here for a little bit? Are we going to go up? We're going to go down. What does Nick Mancini's magical charting, charting book tell us? That's honestly a really good question. And you know, I will caveat this another time where I am a bit unsure of exactly where the momentum will bring us, uh, considering that tomorrow is, of course, PCE in the last day of both the month and the quarter. So uh, we also have we have billion or I think, Alex, what was the number? I think, you know, 10 billion in, in, uh, in options expiry tomorrow as well, with the max pain point being 26.5K. Um, so, you know, really anything can happen, I will say, depending on what PCE is. Is, um, and the market reaction around that. But the magic number that we need to break above for Bitcoin is still 31K. Uh, and the bearish number, I'll include that just in case something bad happens. The bearish number is 29.5K. So if we don't break above 31 or break below 29.5, that is the Bitcoin range that we will be trading in until we see a subsequent breakout. Alex, last last question to you on it. I mean, I know you follow Nick's charts a lot. That's why he's the director of research. Um, do you you've also been in this a long time? Are there other things you're looking at? I mean, in helping you understand whether you think we're going to stay up or drop down, stay near thirty, drop down to twenty five. You know, volatility, volume. I know you were saying earlier, it just totally depends. So many factors. But any last minute insights off of what Nick's saying? 
Yeah, I mean, I think everybody will tell you it's uh, central bank liquidity. Uh, it's a number of factors, uh, but that being a main one. Um, and also for, uh, you know, I think we're out of our crypto winter market now. Um, the problem is what the Fed does uh, to to counteract inflation. And it's not just here, it's globally too. I mean, Europe has it much higher than us um, and uh, are trying to do their thing. But that also comes into it from a crypto-based perspective. I think the I think the crypto the crypto ecosystem is doing what it's what it can right now in order to drag itself out of this uh, this slump it's been in and all the messes of 2022 absolutely wrecked. Um, I think now it's up to to the trad by side. I think uh, we have to battle inflation uh, correctly. Uh, um, and and I, I wish we didn't use stale data, which we which we do. And you hear a lot of people talk about, um, you know, hindsight data. Uh, and also, uh, we got to keep an eye on the central banks. Awesome. Great insights, everybody. This is Bulls, Bears and Blockchain Twitter Spaces. We do this every Tuesday, Thursday and Sunday at 530 Eastern. And we are about to kick into our our follow up show beyond B3, where you guys get to be a part of it. Want to thank uh, Alex, Mark, John, wait for being a part of it. I have a shout out to to uh, yeah. I know I have it. We got Stephen in the audience. Smokehouse, same one. I know. Smokehouse. I love your smokehouse, man. That stuff is good food, Steve. We all just ate the there the other day. He wasn't able to make it, but he did buy me a drink, and he was looking at us through a security camera with little weary that the food is empty. Yeah, one of the first times I I was getting to know you, I, we were at that place for some crypto meetup. I don't even remember what it was. Well, the yeah, best barbecue on the island. Well, the best on the island. That's right. If you're, uh, ever. if you're in Puerto Rico, if you're in Puerto Rico, check out San Juan Smokehouse. And a shout out to our sponsor, Accelerate Tax. Thanks for joining Rob Nelson, Alex Massioli, Mark Lapresti, and John Nigerian with another great episode of Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain twice a week on Revolution Radio. Whether you're new to the world of Web3 finance or an experienced investor, we've got you covered. Follow us on Twitter at GetRevRadio and visit our website at revolutionradio.io, helping you make smarter financial decisions. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>